This podcast was produced by Morley Radio. Hello, thanks for being us today. I hope you are all good. Welcome to Artcast, a podcast presented by Matt G, artist and subject leader for fine art at the Chelsea Centre, which is part of Morley College. The decision to do this podcast was inspired by photographs taken from the polio outbreak in the 1940s, where students were being remotely taught by radio. This podcast will be a series of informal discussions with artists about their work and how they've adapted during the crisis we live in. Their aim is to disseminate material for students by limiting screen time and providing a feed of information for when they're taking a break from the screen. I'm super excited to have the living legend that is Goldie with us today. Goldie is a musician, DJ, music producer, actor, and visual artist. He recently opened up Aurum Gallery in Thailand, showcasing contemporary urban and street art. After establishing his name as a graffiti writer in the Midlands and being a prominent figure in the movement, Goldie was a prominent and well-esteemed figure in New York, the epicenter of the graffiti movement. Goldie's graffiti work in the 1980s was featured heavily in Dick Fontaine's documentary, Bombing and was featured along several pages in the book Spray Can Art by Henry Chauffant and James Prigoff. So for all you students out there, this is a must-have book in your collection if you're interested in the origins of street art. Goldie is a music pioneer, and a lot of the music we listen to now would quite simply not be the same without him developing the scene right at the beginning and his innovative techniques. He played a massive part in shaping the drum and bass scene as a prominent early pioneer in the 1990s. We'll touch more upon this later. Uh, in 2007, Goldie returned to the art world with Love Over Gold at Lenin Street Gallery, and in 2008 made artwork for Pete Tong's Night at the Eden Club in Ibiza. He also had work featuring in the London Underground with Art Below. In July 2010, Goldie received an honorary doctorate in social sciences from Brunel University, Uxbridge, on 3rd of September 2010, he received an honorary degree of Doctor of Design from the University of Wolverhampton. In 2017, Goldie's album The Journeyman was released, and in 2020, Goldie launched his new record label Fallen Tree 100, which also houses an academy for people to learn music production. Uh, Goldie was appointed an MBE in 2016 for his services to music and young people. Hello. So it's the afternoon for you, isn't it? So how's yeah, it, it is the afternoon. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's been it's been good. I mean, we, we just uh, my partner, um, James Davidson, who is a, a revered artist in his own right, um, used to be in a, in a group called Ulterior Motive. He's obviously been engineering for me over the years and this is his sixth year. And we created a partnership on the back of Journeyman because I felt he's contribution to 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 uh, the mentorship almost he, he really he really got his guns together yeah and uh you know I decided to make him a partner in another project called subjective which we literally just started today so I'm kind of I uh we put the brakes on today we've been going through there's a couple of albums a couple of soundtracks that we're putting together for the TV series which I'll get to a little bit later on um but to, to be honest I mean to, to any art students you know i hear this stuff and i hear this and then i often forget that i've done this stuff it, it, 
all of that stuff, the, the, the blue pitted badges and all that stuff doesn't really mean anything to an artist. Let me just get that straight first and foremost because you mean like grades whether, whether it no not about grades the, the grades are good oh listen getting getting a grade from your art teacher is far greater than someone sticking a badge on you and saying they think you've done well because a they never really understand your life they're just kind of are told by lots of people that this is a guy to give a badge to and that stuff i'm not I'm not anti-system in any way. I've, I do. I have a lot of problems with authority in the, in the past in terms of my kind of very you know sculptured life in that sense. But that's what art is. Art is a resistance to a lot of what's going on because that's what it does. Art finds you and it decides for you to to mm. choose that very difficult road. Art is not something for the faint-hearted. It's also something in, in this day and age that I've always found that I you know I. I I came to Asia predominantly to retire. Well, that went out of the window because <laughs> an artist never gets yeah. to retire. That's the that's the rule number one. Um, the other thing, which is important, going to the point, is that I don't mean any disrespect to the system, you know, because ultimately, what makes you is it's what kind of makes you the resistance of of, of yourself in the art world, the questioning that early consciousness to why do we mark stuff? Why do we, why do we put marks on paper? Why do we carve into stone? Why do we, mm. all of these things are to do with self-preservation and also to really equate our existence as artists. I don't know, it might sound quite kind of heavy, but I get inundated, you know, I, my Instagram's open. I don't, I'm not here to, to see it on a private account. I don't really business about it. I use it as a toy. Yeah, you know, I make people laugh, and every every five posts, there's a serious post, and also you've got them, you you bring them in. It's what comedy does. It's like Dave Chappelle's the master of it. And the point I mean is that I feel that I, I spent I spent so much time by, is it good enough? I'm not good enough. I don't think I am good enough. Mm. Every time I finish the painting, I, I, I wish I had more time. I wish I I could have done that color instead of that color. I could have made this. That's the whole point. Art ultimately is an imperfect circle and it has to be it has to be a hand-drawn imperfect circle and that doesn't mean that you know you know you can't you know throw your life into a, a bode and all of these great graphical programs but if you're going to rage against the machine then you need to make sure that you can push that machine to its limit i.e graffiti writers pushing the aerosol can to its limit to the point where the people that are producing the aerosol can decide that they want to make more colors because there's a demand for it. And that's what culture does. Culture does what it says on the tin. It adapts to its environment with very few things. And uh, as that grows and grows and grows, all of a sudden there's a, there's a vast amount of colors to be used in graffiti, right? Yeah. Can you talk to us about that sort of experience of being in New York during that time where really it was all kicking off basically like where graffiti writing where, where artists were really taking ownership of the city really but i think i mean i don't want I, I it's hard to get into too much detail the, the one thing i rem i do know about that life of being with tats group since the age of 18 and frequenting back and forth to new york is that you know graffiti artists you know they they're like phoenixes they they rose from the ashes was, you know new york was on fire new york was actually on strike most of Subway Art's content was that summer period where New York was on strike and no one gave a beep um, because it was on fire. And people, grown-ups, were fighting for their right to just, 
you know, survive in New York and it's very poor. So all of the sons and daughters of that generation became break dancers. They became part of culture. They became part of the art culture, which we know as graffito, the Latin word. Mm. Um, but the one thing I will say is that the, the resistance of not being able to gain access to paint, the resistance of society trying to arrest them and chase them around, that's what made graffiti the way that it's a, a, a world-dominant world force right now because people are going big, whether it's whether you're talking about Mr. Sens in South London to, to Mode 2, to where you, whether you're talking to Mr. Burroughs, you know, you know, all these great artists, you know, Cobra, all these amazing artists that are going big, that can scale their work due to a, a lot of technology that's around that we didn't have available to us, but also having the idea of perspective and size and color. And it goes back to that point. You could be doing a foundation one course in art. We used to call it foundation one. I did foundation one and two at art college and ended up climbing over a wall before I finished two. But the idea of the idea of you could give an art student a hundred cans of paint, give them a great mix of colors, give them a great, give them a wall, say 10 foot approximately by let's just say for argument's sake 30 foot so there you go paint now number one he's got to get around the process of can control like any medium and even let's say that they have can control because they've not come from the university of the street in that sense it's very difficult right but a graffiti writer by default can adapt to any environment because working with an aerosol can is a blunt instrument and all of those things that tally up, you can really, right, okay, so I've got to work with a paintbrush and rollers. That's easy. Oh, I can use a projector. Oh, it's even better. You know, these things of scale, we didn't have those tools. So we had to use, you know, you're standing next to a train and it's two feet away from you and it's dark and a red looks like a brown in a color. And you've got a, a carriage that you want to coordinate with your friends and you're all doing your little bit. It's, a, you know, and you've got time against you then it becomes a whole other ball game. So the adapt the adaptation of the artist comes into into a real uh, to real play. Not not just the danger element. That doesn't mean that every graffiti writer has to be in imminent danger. Because of course he went from the trains a very long time ago. As mayor, a very famous graffiti writer, and a good friend of mine said, "We may have lost the trains, but we've gained the world." Because the thing, the very thing that people tried to crush in society was saying that, yeah, you know, graffiti is just for kids daubling on walls. Well, if you look back over the last 200 years, that's what we've been doing since the ages of the Greeks. So this isn't new. Graffito isn't anything new. Well, even before that, like when a caveman would put his hand on a, on a stone, wouldn't he? Just replace the, the word, the, the letter I with the word O and look at graffito in the dictionary. It'll, it'll explain a lot more than people's narrow mind, mindedness of how they look at it. You know, I could argue the argument's sake and say, well, if, you know, if uh, Leonardo da Vinci had access to an iPad, would he have used it? Probably. Yeah, probably. <laughs> you know, I, I was too far gone. I couldn't get my head around programs in a bite. My daughter can use a bite. I'm like, I've got no idea. Photoshop's never been my thing. I can, but I can instruct people that use it to think, what if I try this idea? You know, what if I take, for example, you know, look at Lost Tribes as a concept of a, of a contemporary body of work is something I'd never done before. But because you have a graffiti mentality, it's like, right, human being, angles, right, light source, left the sun. If you put the sun there in the left and you put the sun there in the, in the sky, it's 45 degree angle is putting light on the face. Right. So that means that the lower right hand side is going to be greens and blues. But then the middle and the top right could be oranges 
and pinks and the bottom left could be lighter blue so there I'm, I'm playing with light source well what if i split the human body in half and i put a line down the center and i fishbone and i look at a pound note and i look at the lines on a pound note or a fiver and i see that it's just lines so if we put those lines equally spaced apart i will cause a fishbone throughout the human body break it into sections and then work with half tones and cross lateral lines these are concepts artists go through well i go through and i've been through a lot. That's going into finite detail, to be honest. Do you do any printmaking within your work? Like, sort of use different printing sort of techniques, like etching or lino, and maybe screen printing? Yeah, know? well, I've done, I've done screen printing, so I know the process of it. I know the process of the silhouette layer, you know, the coloured layers, the outline layers, just like a graffiti writer. That's what I'm saying to you. Yeah. With graffiti, you're working in reverse all of the time. You've got your outline letter, you've got your outline of your letters, which is in a was it in you know in a, in a lighter color, and then you do all of your fills, and then you do your final outline with your black and you cut back and you put your white highlights. That is the same in anything, whether it's window design or whether it's printing in a magazine. It's just those aspects of doing it. It's just this I think with an artist, it's just adapting to you know, if you can screen print, if you can screen printing t-shirts, then you kind of understand how printing works and then you realize yeah. oh in graphics you've got half tones to play with and not only back then we only had dot half tones now you've got a multiple of array of different kind of half tones yeah sure because, and that's how we that's how the arts adapt i think i think it is the greatest moment in modern history of where the primal aspects of said artists meets science so the art and the science have been running on such a strong parallax over the last 10, 15 years, more so than ever. And it's just that the old guard either fell off or adapted. So you think the likes of Shep Farley and all those guys have gone into a whole other world of it and can mass manufacture almost, Yeah, you know, into, into what that aspect is. I think that having, you know, my background was always jewellery design or, you know, melting gold, like real alchemy, which I, I've always said it's the it's the most purest form of art. There is nothing more pure than melting gold and watching the chrome the chrome melt. With the gold finally melted, its melting point with oxygen and acetylene, and it finally melts. There is a chrome fluid which darts across the surface in a chaotic manner, and watching that quite a few times really helped me to work out who I really am. And that sounds really weird. But when you see that chaos in that and then you finally hit the hammer and it centrifugally pushes itself, it swirls and it forces itself into a mold. When you break it up and you put it into the water and cool it down and you take it out of its sprues and it's, it's housing and you saw it off and you have a chunk of gold in your hand and you've got to file it all back and sand it down and polish it. You finally understand what the real aspects of alchemy, alchemy are. That, that doesn't sound weird at all. That sounds awesome. Well, but I think it's 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 one of those things that I learned, you know, for a guy in Miami. I mean, going back to the point, the question you asked, spending those summers in New York, really on the shoulder of giants, watching the trains die because it was the white trains and it was hard security. And you know, I did my first train in Lexington and under the 16th Street, the only train I ever did, and. Um, but seeing handball courts spring up around the city because, of course, the trains were dying and Mayor Koch has spent 72 million of taxpayers' money, which bears the question, what if that money would have been spent on those inner cities of understanding those kids and creating, let's say, a backdrop of Barcelona or, let's say, the backdrop of a metropolis city like Berlin? Mm. The, the point I'm making is that the art 
and the artists will always bear the brunt of a non-understanding society. They will always be crucified for their work. And it's probably the only time, if you think about it logically, this is the only time in modern history where the artist doesn't have to die to actually get paid this time. Yeah. Just a point. Let's just make a point of this. Think about Basque, all of the famous artists that ever lived. Yeah, yeah. Keith Herring. Keith Herring and, and Andy and all of these artists. And let's even go further than that. Let's go and talk about the masters, if you like. Let's go and talk about the fine art masters that people collect and hide away in safes and vaults. Mm. The, the great thing, the great truth in the art, and it goes back to that, it does go back to a fundamental belief of mine. That same thing of the meek will inherit the earth, or the, uh, the earth, and the uh, the idea of the art will always, you know, it will be dominance. You know, graffiti, graffito. A guy called Joseph Reichwa, who was an art critic in Italy, gave a speech, gave a talk at a cinema in 1972, and said that the barbarians from within, we are yet to witness the barbarians from within to take over the the modern art form as we know it. And that was in the 70s. And what he was talking about was the idea that the Gainsborough picture, that the that letter form would replace the cow in the field, for example. Not only did the letter form replace the cow in the field, so did the monikers and everything else that was symbolism came back, for example. Right. And let's talk about let's 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 paint without saying anything, and let's just look at symbols. Red red rectangle with a a swoosh of a white line, Coca-Cola. Yeah. Let's talk about Seven Up. Let's talk about you know what the 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 what the Instagram looks like, or what what any symbol that symbolizes that came out on the back of capitalism that symbolizes the symbols that we know. The Nike swoosh, even there is with all of the capitalism that was unfolding, there is that demand for that. There's always going to be the counterculture that happens with that. I.e., you know. Mr. Banks comes along and all of a sudden we, we know that the cameras are big brothers watching. So we now need to put it in our computers, print it out in a stencil, cut it out, roll it up, take it to the wall. We can paint in two hours as opposed to spending five hours meticulously painting a wall or a train. So, so art has always done what it does. It's well, in the, especially in the modern era is adapts to its environment. On the subject of Banksy, uh, one of our students on the foundation called Mia, she's, she, she wants to know what you think and thought about Banksy's um, piece that he had at Sotheby's, the one that shredded itself. I think it's brilliant. I think it's a masterpiece. I mean, it's just, it's genius. I mean, you see there, you know, I think that's that's the whole point of it is that, is that, is that Mr. Banks has pointed out, like a lot of artists that fell short of that, is pointing out the idiocies within art. That's exactly what, is is probably probably the most perfect artist in that respect of having, you know, he wasn't as a very strong graffiti writer, but he certainly found with the, the way of adapting to one's yeah. environment, he found his way, and so did a whole generation after that. And it's the same way you look at Dondi's influence or Futura's influence. Um, you know, I think that that impact has been huge, not only for the for, not only just for the art world, but economically as well. You think about the market traders selling art down Kensington Street on a Sunday. <laughs> you know, I don't care. If, you know, it's it's whether you, you know you're seeing art reproducing. You're seeing we're sitting. I mean, you know, if the Mona Lisa had uh, thirty pence for every time her image was used, I'm sure she'd already be a billionaire, right? A billionaire. Yeah. 
I mean, the thing is, yeah, the, the society's <laughs> always kind of looked upon art as something that's not understandable. That's because because of the system suppressing people's creativity. I mean, what we've learned from lockdowns is that people take refuge within art. They make art. Everyone's creative because they're human. I think I'm 55 now, and I, and I I always knew that I was never going to fit into the normal, regular way of living. I knew I knew that was never going to be the case. I knew very early on of experience in New York. I knew that that would change my life forever. It wasn't like, oh, you fell into it completely by accident. Um, and, and also the idea of people going, well, that's all right for you to say because you're very lucky. There is no such thing as luck because the, the, the gods of luck are completely blind and they pass it over their shoulders, unoblivious to who they're giving it to, which is why you think, how can this be? How can these people have so much money and we're all broke? <laughs> you know. But the idea of creating the luck, the idea of chance and circumstance, taking an opportunity... And I just, I just took the opportunities. Um, and I think I've always been an all-rounder with the arts because it's not just about, for me, it's never just been about painting canvas. It's always been about sonic, sonic terrorism for a start for me. It was always, I mean, that was a bit of a problem for me because I couldn't call Sands Return sonic terrorism because Sands Return came out and I thought, next album, sonic terrorism. And then the Twin Towers came out, which is not a great idea uh. to name an album, sonic terrorism. But I've always felt that that, you know, sonically, drum and bass music is the equivalent of wild style graffiti. That album in 98, wasn't it? And that album, Saturn's Return, it featured uh, David Bowie, Noel Gallagher and KRS-One and a, and a one hour long orchestral piece, <laughs> which is just um, incredible. How, how do you even... Well, Mother is, first of all, Mother is not a classical piece. Mother is a classicist impressionism. Yeah, sure. There's a, there's a very big difference because it's the idea that I can take from... I made a point earlier on, and I just want the art students to really listen to this. It's very important. I want, I wanted that world to understand that this isn't just a monkey on a barrel. I can take your music. I can take whatever you do. I, I may not be able to read music, which I, which I, I couldn't and still can't. I can see it on a score. And I just wanted to, this is an Olympus recorder, and I might not be able to read music. But if I want to put a harmony into this, and I want to put something in there, I, for example, with Mother, it was you know the idea of the low end. So the low end is going to be, with the mids, the highs. So if I layer this stuff, and I know where it's going on a timeline that I create, you know, you create the legend, which is zero to whatever timeline you want to go to, you know, and drawing out the piece, constructing it as a diagram. It doesn't matter because I went to a guy called John Altman, whose father worked with Gershwin, believe it or not. And John Altman's a very good friend of mine. He's getting on now. He's a very, very unbelievable composer in his own right, John Altman. Mm. Uh, big band stuff. I mean, I'm talking big brass band stuff. He's done. He's done a great album called Terracotta and worked with everyone. Stevie Wonder. I mean, he's worked with the greats. He's worked with everyone. The whole family can play any instrument. That kind of, you know, and, and, and as a guy that couldn't play an instrument that would, that chose to make a guitar and not buy a real one, because I feared the fact that I couldn't learn because I was told I wasn't good enough. Um, but the idea of knowing that I, I have my voice and I have my hands. Yeah. 
my vision and my ears. So the idea, I said to John, I've got this really amazing idea for this idea of mother because I have a very difficult relationship with her. I can't say anything to her directly. It's always avoided. It's never, it's never the confrontation. It just, it just becomes an argument that, and I can't get past the argument. So I decided to create, you know, for, for I'd, I'd already done Timeless. So how can you better that? Well, you can't. You just have to make another composition because there's a big difference because Timeless is, for better want of the word, a it's a genre-defining piece, a uh, double album. It's genre-defining. So once you've defined the genre, that's it. So I get to, I get to live in that land forever. Having a world... Any artist needs to create a bed. And I don't want to go too far off piece because I said about these students listening. Yeah. So you've got an hour long piece. So first of all, I'm like, right. So I need to make a sound bed, which is kind of approximately 20 minutes, the length of timeless just before I even get started. So once I create the synth line, a synth shape for about 20 minutes, I'm then going to weave all of these harmonies that I record into an Olympus trip and weave them in and knowing where they clash and they cross with the highs and the lows and the high and the, 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 the lows, the mids and the highs. That's the gift. It's the art. It's knowing where things cross over. It's the sweet spot of the music. It's a kind of like, that's something that's inherent with me. And that, that inherentness isn't, it didn't come through any type of magic. Look, I just pulled a rabbit out of a hat. It came through being a graffiti writer that goes into a train or looks at a wall and understands what perspective is. So, for example, if I'm looking at a piece of paper that's, it's an A1 piece of paper. So, it, uh, so it's this long. So I know that if I'm putting this design on there, the space and everything else, that's no different than a train to me or a wall. It's just the idea of perspective. So if I'm thinking about a sonic piece of music, it's a canvas. It's it's going to have a square and it's going to have a beginning and an end. Yeah. So the, the idea of recording all of these vocals, these sounds to create a harmonic range, all I've got to do is find someone that understands it in music. So John Altman would then go, right, uh, I've written down all these low notes. I've written down all these mid notes and actually bloody works. How did you know that? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's because I have an inherent idea of, what it's going to do because I'm not in my head. I'm hearing harmonies to an orchestra. They're hearing seven different instruments. Well, that's three violas, you know, a high viola, some low cellos. And, and, and it's the sounds that I'm hearing with that. So as long as I've got that and I've got synth arrangements, without going too deeply into it, instead of taking you down the rabbit hole. The idea is that you just need to express yourself. Yeah. And if you're creating your world, it's, it's what every artist wants. It's a place where they can lay their head down. I made a point earlier, which this is one thing that artists never do. I'm always incomplete. The idea of creating that space and I'm inundated. I mentioned earlier that I'm inundated with people going, uh, look, um, Goddy, look, um, I'm a, I'm an artist. I've got a gallery. Um, I want to, I know what your opinion is on my images. And I'm like, look, <laughs> My Instagram's open. My Instagram's open, but that doesn't mean that you can come into my living room and you just talk absolute in there because it's my living space. It's like a living space. So yeah, but they're Batman and Robin. They're Batman. It's Batman images and Robin. I'm like, okay. So you want my honest opinion? Well, I'm going to tell you my honest opinion. You're doing images of Batman and the Joker. It's been done, and I know some formidable artists that have done it. Not only done it 
but done it well. So the idea that, that, that it's this idea of artists believing too much in the science, that means the Instagram, or what the like says, or what the feed, you know, this guy said, is it's, it's irrelevant. Because what's important is that music can be downloaded and films can be downloaded for free. There are enough pirate bays, there are enough places out there to do it for free. If you're walking into a room or a gallery or around a corner, there is nothing on this planet that can take you away from the feeling of sitting down and looking with your own eyes on a piece of work because it can't be downloaded. Now, you can give me all of the, don't tell me the non-fungible tokens. I get it. But that's the biggest trick. Another student was going to ask you about NFTs. And I get it. Listen, if you want to play chess with the devil, great. Not a problem. <laughs> I will launch an NFT in a month and I don't care about it. And you know what it is? If you're stupid enough to go buy it, go knock yourself out. Because the last time I checked, tin used to be a commodity and so did saffron. So we're talking about human beings and their idiocies. Hey, knock yourself out. You do what you want. If some guy wants to go and have some mad, and I'm sorry to say, some mad kind of crazy idea of, of even buying an NFT for me, knock yourself out, kid. What, I get to keep the original and you've got a digital version? The last time I, the last time I checked my eyesight, it was pretty bad. I could not tell you the difference between, uh, uh, you know, 4K and it probably, possibly in a, in a year's time, it's probably going to be 6K. I don't know. It looks the same to me. But what doesn't look the same is if I'm standing next to a canvas yeah. in my home or a gallery that I made. You can't beat it. I would say to the students that uh, pen to paper rather than typing, there's that, that instant thing. Yeah. And I guess what you're saying is, yeah, it's not magic. It's not coming from nothing, but it's coming from you following yourself, from digging, from from playing, from being playful. And, and I'm thinking about your track Terminator, which I think some people should listen to if they haven't, especially our younger listeners, <laughs> uh, from 1992, because, you know, you pioneered that technique called time stretching. And, you know, that does that's not magic. That That comes from you. Yeah, expressing yourself, not not getting caught up on too much contextualizing, not got, getting caught up on too much influences, but actually just following your intuition. You know, that's what it's about, isn't it? Let me bring it down a notch and try and make it a little bit more plausible, if you like. Because that's what artists do. My life's work, I ain't even. I kind of haven't even started yet. The, I, got, I got to 55 and I realized I absolutely know absolutely all about life. I know that sounds really bad, students, but you get to this age and you think it doesn't matter. It really doesn't. The art exists to keep us from going insane. That's the bottom line. It also, and if you make something out of it, then we're all you're winning. You're winning for the very fact that all of our freedoms, to a certain degree, are being taken away. I find it very strange that all of a sudden the NFTs become a thing. Because it means that you can just have it in your digital wallet, all safe and sound, and you own it. It's the same as all of a sudden there's 24 million games on my phone that appeared all of a sudden on my Instagram feed for me to buy, to be amused while the monkey finds another set of colors you can shake around. And it's the same with anything, whether it's Bitcoin or this coin. Let's have a look at what it really is. 
you could replace, you could look at Bitcoin and look at, I don't know, XRPs and, and Delta coin and this coin and Lumens and all of this stuff. You could say, well, I want a piece of bacon, one's a piece of spaghetti, one's a shoe, one's the bottom of your dad's uh, leather boots from football. It doesn't make any difference. It's just someone selling you something digitally that they can get the money out of your pocket for. And we can create this whole idea of self-worth, self-banking. I get that. Take the power from the banks and all that stuff. Without going off piece here, any artist will tell you, when I was starving, I used to swap canvases for clothes. I used to go to Lynn Frank's PR company in Harrow Road. And I used to rock up there with a canvas and I used to sell backdoor canvases. And Lynn Franks, we laugh about it. To, to the staff that used to get all the samples from Peppy Jeans and Soviet, it was going to be the new wear. They go, well, I've got a box of Soviet samples for you, G. I'd go and swap canvases, take them to Camden Market and sell them to make money. Oh, so cool. cool. I mean, it's just a bit of the hustle. So without kind of making it sound really bad, the arts really is something that I, I, I live to... I serve it, not the other way around. I, I love the idea that, you know, you know, I've been approached massive at NFT company, Los Angeles, a big deal. You know, I'm talking huge, you know, two meter by two meter, you know, something I might think about doing. And it's already there to a certain degree of what I want to do and how I might do it and blah, blah, blah. But it's, it just seems to me that it amuses me that the, that the only real thing about art is not necessarily the finished item. That's what we've got to remember that main thing, guys. Even the artist, when you finished it, do you go, Oh my God, that's actually the best thing ever. And it's brilliant, isn't it? Well, that's, that would be, that would be, that's not a real artist. A real artist is going to go, this is just not good enough. And I think I can do better. The, at the end of every canvas is the beginning of the new one. It's the new idea. It's the same as the end of every record for me or recording. It's like that last 32 bars gave me a great idea or the middle of that part there. Oh, that's a great idea. The difference is that A, being alive to witness it and all of the work that I did back then is that we spent today, for example, this morning, farming my own past, mining my own creations, mm. like Bitcoin, but mining my own art by looking at stuff that I've done where I'm going to, I go into a track and, I, you know, just as, in, just as an example, in the record Redemption, which is, I've always got a record, I'm old school. It's on the Journeyman album. It's a meager 18 minutes long. There is a 21 minute version, but I didn't want it compared to Timeless. I always made a record exactly the same time, but it's not Timeless. Well, of course, Dodo's is not Timeless because Timeless was made 20 years prior. And plus, it's that was Johnny Funny, like I said. However, it's a brilliant piece of music because it challenges the concept of a piece of music going from D&B and turning into techno. So it's dealing with time and how we can change speed, but not in a way where it just slows down, but in a very technological way. And it moves in different signatures and everything else. It's actually got 228 channels of audio. Blimey. Well, that's amazing. And along with its counterpart, there's another one it has got you're going through it because we just go in there to look at audio feeds you know another one here's got 120 130 you know because you look at the arrangement window how much how much that looks like 228 channels and then you're moving it from left to right and looking at all of the movement and all of the 
the cutting back and all the channels, the drop down channels to create audio changes. I mean, it's it's insane, even when I look at it, because that's the beautiful thing about art. And this is what I, this is a theory that I have. When it looks like you did not paint it, and it's too good for you, and it sounds like it belongs somewhere, and it's like you never made it, then you're getting nearly close to what being an artist is. Because you have to give up your own right to it. You have to, you have to sacrifice yourself to this piece that is stronger than you, bigger than you, and is far greater than you. Because that's where it gives you the answer. Because you can look at it in third party. I can listen to my music in third party like an alien made it. Because I didn't make it. I never made it. And I think about the I think about the technical process that I brought. I'm like, what what were you doing? Because you were long past acid. What was it then? It was just good, clear, and concise thoughts. It was being honest. It was being honest about whether you're throwing the cam, you know, the paint on the canvas. Or whether you never hesitated to to just cut through it. The amount of pains I've got, oh God. But hang on a minute. There might be something in this. Yeah, yeah. There's something in this. And I think just getting on Instagram and watching everyone do stuff and try and tell you what it's like, or you think that it's like, don't let that, don't let that be your guide. It's got to be you. You have to understand that that your response, your motor skills. Just go back to the old primal self, pre-internet. Yeah. Because everything else added to that. Like if you're good at Photoshop, for example, and you have a really good idea for collage, you can go, actually, if I take this image from 1980 and I take this image from 92 and I take these three, oh my God, I can make some really cool with this. You know, it's like, there's no magic trick with, you know, the only gift that I have in music is I've got a great ear to, I'm a great arrangement. I could tell you where it goes before I've made it because I'm looking at the blank canvas and I know where it all goes. You've always been yourself. That's the key, isn't it? Always be yourself with, with your art and rather than, yeah, like you say, rather than adhering to what you think is right on Instagram or something like that, you've just got to be true to yourself. It's also seeing the shape. I mean, it, it's my quote to no one else's. I always got really jealous in this childish manner. I think most artists have the mental age of 12 anyway, if they were like, <laughs> it's true. Uh, I'm a professional child at it. Um, that's my title, professional child. I get like a PC award. Um, the idea of having your own belief system is really the most important thing to art. It really is because there's so much more, those hundred colors I'd spoke about earlier, there's so many of them. So the choices are too much almost for people. It's it's like, you know, I'm not going to go and plug into a thousand synths to make a composition because I don't need to because I know what I want to do because I've got the sounds in my head. I don't need to go too far off piece. So I think I'll just grab that one, that one, that one. It's like going into a sweet shop and the owner's not there. What do you take? What do you steal? When we were kids, we were like, oh, my God, the shop owner's like, ah, and you fluff it. You, <laughs> you, you just fluff it. You think, yeah, I could have had dairy milk, but I went for the Cadbury's cream egg, and it was, ah, it was, it was it past its sell by day. <laughs> it's happened to every every boy anyway. But that's the thing. It's like if every boy says it hasn't happened, then you haven't lived. The idea is that having too much can take away from, oh, I've got too much going on now. 
It's just too busy. Listen, life's complicated enough. The, the art should see us through. And the art is always going to be the therapy like a doctor prescribes for the said patient, if that makes any sense. You know, it's like you'll find that, you know, I found that, you know, how can I get green, brown, pink, maroon, cypress, citrus, yellow? Hello, sweetheart. Is that my darling? Look at this budding artist. Come here. Oh, hello. You're an artist. Come here. Tell How's me. How's it going? Come here. Tell me you're an artist. Yeah. And what do you like about art? Do anything. What do you like about it? You like colours or do you like drawing stuff? Um, you love drawing stuff, don't you? Yeah. Are you better than your father? Yeah. You're better than me, aren't you? Yeah. You're going to be better than me too? Yeah. Why? Because I'm going to just be better than you. What do you like to draw? What do you like to draw? He's asking you. I like to draw girls. She likes to draw the girls in fashion. She can draw it very well, can't you? She's very good. Coco's an amazing artist. Brilliant. But she can't open a can of tuna. I won't let her. But there you go. Opening a can of tuna. Be careful with that. All right, darling. <laughs> See, there you go, students. That's how to keep your daughter alive by feeding giving her <laughs> tuna. It's actually nice for the cat. The cat loves tin tuna. Um, where was I? Yeah. So it's like a prescription. You know, how can I put maroon, citrus yellow, cab yellow, pink, brown, purple, lime green, all together at looking like a car crash? It's easy. It's arrangement. Yeah. You know, because the word, the color actually doesn't exist. It's the way that we see color, for example. So I've always been, synesthesia, for example, the idea of seeing color. Mine's not an extreme case. But seeing, hearing colour and seeing it has always been a thing for me. It's just the thing. Because it's a set of, it's a set of ground rules that I know that, the, you know, on this particular track, like Redemption is a great example, that I just know that the bass is going to be in purple and dark blues. And I know that the vocals are going to be in oranges and yellows. And I know that the strings are going to be in yellows to soaring citrus yellows. Oh, wow, that's really interesting. And 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 the way that they move, that they they can't they can change you, but you can't make the you, you can't make that yellow green. It's not. Yeah. So they, they've got to stay in their lanes, but they've got to push each other's envelopes so that they so when they do surface into each other, they just create different shades. If that makes any sense. So, so it's like conceptualizing art is probably the, the probably one of the greatest things you can do is to be able to go okay i get it because i remember i went through a phase right this is going back let's say 17 years 2002 to 2006 very difficult time divorce craziness a lot of drugs too too much well i started doing a set of abstracts just throwing paint on canvas yeah an abstract is actually not about throwing paint on canvas at all it's actually not it's weird because even though you're actually physically throwing paint on canvas, the thought process behind it is a bit like the gold. When you melt it, yes, there is something that's chrome-like and dots across the surface, but if you stay there long enough with, with it and do it enough times, there's actually a pattern in chaos. And like science, there are many patterns within within that. Like, for example, if we vibrate water and we look at it under a microscope, if you look at frozen water and what it does when it's frozen and the idea of architecture, you know, what I call nature's Picasso, 
you know, these things are naturally effective. It's like when you, you know, I saw a thing on Instagram that made me laugh. And it's like, look, you can get this latex and you can put this oil in it and it will create all these funny patterns. And people just <laughs> pouring it onto canvas and letting it dry. It's like, okay. So it's like, that's like painting by numbers in the 70s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, no, it's become that thing. It's like the stuff that the graffiti writers were berated for, they now think it's a thing to make it look cool and just sell it to us. It's like selling me avocado, not selling me aloe vera in a in a in a in a bowl for fiver in boots when you can just cut it off a plant naturally and cut it yourself. Yeah, it's been like fetishized, doesn't it? I guess it's been fetishized. I love that word. It's been fetishized. Exactly. So the idea of look at these lovely colours and you can just pour them and it's like a rainbow. It's like <laughs> you know when we were doing this in graffiti, you lot laughed at us because what? All of a sudden, your fine art's dead. The fine art still exists. So if you want to pursue fine art, do modern fine art. You know, it's like, it's when people go classical, they just go, oh, it just means old music. There's a new ca classical if you want to find it. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's just the idea of, of that. And I, and, I, and I think that without, I'm kind of going off piece a little bit, but the idea is for me is that it doesn't matter if it's sonic and it's color for me. They are the same thing. And this is mm. the question that's probably on another student's going to ask, which is the, it's the question that I think, God, if I had a pound for that question, Jesus Christ, I'd be a zillionoid. I'd be a billionaire. Oh, do you prefer art or music? I wasn't actually going to ask that, but yeah. <laughs> Thank God. Thank you, Morley College. Thank you for sparing me. Thank you, Morley, for letting me dodge the bullet. The idea is that they are one of the same. Yeah. yeah. They're just seasonal. So going back to the points of abstract art, when I thought, I looked back on these canvas and I thought, out of that 30 odd things you did, there's only two or three that you really actually liked because, because I was trying to find something that wasn't there. So what I did, I had to go, but I had to go back to, to letter form. And I had to go back to really understanding construction again. And then, and then beyond that, that would then show me what abstract really meant, if that makes any sense. I had to yeah, go, yeah. I had to go really far away from it and go, I had to go back to the source. Graffito, letter form, um, one second. It's um, it's very very interesting. Uh, it's a shame you, it's a shame you wonderful students, uh, get to miss out on this. But this is two thousand and three, and this is and this is and this. If you look at this very carefully, as a piece of graffito, if you like, it's goldy, but it's it's made out of speak. It's made out of speakers. G the O the L. The, the the D, which is going back here through here, with the I, which is a stack speaker, with a circular speaker for the E, with a little tweeter on the top. I mean, Amazing. that's when you're, you're bending the letter form. But that was 2003, created, you know, 2D to create 3D to create 4D to create what we call what we call Escher. People like Delta, people like D Dame were doing this. And then you look at you look at this, which was you know 2000, I think 15 developing even further with roughage, you know, the R, the U, the F, the I, the G, you know, you know, doing, working on, on letter form and pushing the envelope. You know, I, I never actually painted those pieces because I, because people just thought I was mad. But then you look at something like this piece, which was, I think, 2017. This was done for my friend called Pedro. And it's a beautiful example of modern, the way of, of making modern, the P, the E, the, the lowercase, the lowercase, 
D, with the R, with a beautiful R, with the O, but but letter form, which is where the letters are almost stick-like, but the three Ds are completely back in perspectives, creating angles and everything else. But then you think about this, which I did two months ago, which is it's just easier and starting, but still stylized with the Goldie outline about and how, and how easier the flow is because it's going back to the source. It's graffito, the form of it never leaves you experimenting through the letter form, but then going back through the contemporary stuff like the girls or like the African stuff, it's really important, which is kind of why the gallery came about. Yeah. Can I just ask about DJing and mixing? Because obviously that's something that, <laughs> yeah. that that's like, that's, that's like curating an ex, an art exhibition. That's like putting, putting some art materials together. Is it, You know, DJing for me really was just the fun part of it. You know, Especially metalheads, you know, metalheads is a label, no holes barred. You know, my daughter's 23 and she loves metalheads because she's like, all of her friends finally go, oh my God, I've just discovered metalheads music. It's like, it's like Motown music because it's, it's, it's this is the irony in, 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 in the genre of the music, which I've been a champion of. And my friends, I could count on my hands, not even two hands that really are pretty much could be arrested for all their contributions to drum and bass music because they're the guilty ones, the Dillingers, the Doc Scotts, the Fotex. I mean, creating a genre, it's mad because going through it, you think, how the hell did we do this? But I guess it's, you know, based on the same thing with B-boyism. No man is an island, work together as a crew. And that's the mentality which the establishment hated, the fact that working to, we work together. Um like the great bands, you know, they work together. Um, and I felt that um, if you're in the 90s and you look at the 60s, okay, so we can get this cream and all of the bands from the 60s, okay? So the Beatles sound like the Beatles. It sounds, oh, okay, cool. If you're in the 90s and you go forward 30 years, we're in 2021, let's say 2020, of argument's sake, the 90s is 30 years disparities. The same disparity. The 90s is here. The 60s is there. 2020. The difference is the drum and bass music was so forward thinking that I could play tonight for five hours. I could start, let's say, one o'clock. I guarantee you by, let's say, when you get the setup to its heat, as you're melting the gold and you're getting it there, instead of just throwing it in there with a box of matches thinking you're going to light it up, you know, with just a few commercial tunes, you're actually going to play like a set and work the crowd into a frenzy, shamanically, if you like. The kids will run up and go, what is this tune I'm losing my mind to? And you go, it's actually 25 years old. Yeah. Doesn't sound like the Beatles, does it? Because it's so future thinking. Now, of course, you can get the, the usual suspects, which are like, say, the first Metalheads 20, 20 releases, you know it sounds like the 90s because it's at 150 BPM. But anything past that crucible point, which I call it, we were creating music and it kind of stayed pretty much 167 to 172 for the last 15 years. It just settled at that speed. So I can still play things like Johnny L, for example, who's always faster than his time. He was always a little bit quick, Johnny, because DJ mentality... If you look on the de on the on the deck, minus and plus. So the DJ sped the music up. No one else. Yeah. Because you know, but when you think about the impact of the music from that perspective, 
drum and bass music was far ahead of its curve. It reminds me of something else that was far ahead of its curve. You see where you see the parallax here. So drum and bass music is the wild style of electronic music. Yeah, and you're into techno as well, aren't you? We're into our, our forefathers. Yeah, we grew we grew up on Detroit. Detroit was, a, you know, it's like genres. You know, you got rhythm and blues, the forties, the fifties. Blues music goes into that music into into R and B and soul music goes into R and B and R and B goes into into funk and then funk goes into Chicago Chicago goes into Detroit Detroit goes into New York and New York goes into England and techno and and it's and, and drum and bass comes out of rave culture on the back it's all part of the same family tree mm -hmm. we just don't forget it. That's the difference. It's not like there's loads of Germans wearing leather jackets in in Germany thinking the techno is. What do you mean Detroit make techno? This is lies. <laughs> uh, it came from, it came from young black kids in Detroit. It's just urban music, and it's what we call black secret technology. Yeah, and it's it's hidden from the West in that sense where people go really. Well, it's not like you're supposed to know. It's just about whether or not you want to know, and you want to find your his history really. Um, I mean, is it, I mean, this is the point. This shouldn't be a history lesson because it isn't. Because I'm not academically, uh, what's the word, vested in the idea that I will tell you dates and times because I already struggle with times. Thus, the name on my tin and timeless <laughs> and my yeah. my obsession with time, knowing that there is none, and knowing that the point I'm trying to make is that the reason why I discard it so much is because I realize that the only time that's important is right now in the present, which is why they call it a present, because it's a gift. I like that. Because this, this interview is gone. It's finished. It's already the past. And so, so and it goes back to the earlier quote, you know, it's, it's a, for me, this, the first quote I always said was, you know, what we do today creates tomorrow. And I thought that quote's not good enough. I want a better one than that. <laughs> you know, and I always looked at people with great quotes and I came up with it about two years ago. And I thought, I'm going to use that every time I do an interview. It'd probably be in my tombstone. Is that a truthful idea lasts in the honesty of time? And that's it. So the, ga the gallery, the gallery itself. So you, do, is that your collection? Well, the gallery, no, the gallery, the gallery's mine. And it's me and my partner, Gary Bowen. And um, we decided to make a partnership and, create a gallery where I could just invite all my friends from around the world to show amazing art. Yeah. And you've got a Vils. Uh, Vils is one of my favorites. I've got loads of Vils. I've probably got, oh, I've now got. Really? Well, I've just, I did, I did 24 Vils last year. I sold. Wow. And I did another this year. I've got another, I think another 18. I think I've done five already of his new 2020 collection. I've just done. Um, you know, Vils is in the documentary in, in The Art That Made Me, which is a lovely documentary on Sky Arts. You'll probably be able to watch. You know, Vils was that second, third wave of graffiti writer that that loved graffiti and, and, and moved into some, you know, what I call urban archaeology, the idea of how clever. Yeah. I mean, remarkably clever. You know, you, you look at you look at post, you know, post Banksy is brilliant with all these other artists that it doesn't stop there. It just keeps going. The idea of Layers and layers of capitalist posters created with lots and lots of glue. Then you look at it sideways and he just gets a knife and he cuts into the history of the capitalism and pulls it out and pulls out images of old people or 
people that meant anything to, to Portuguese history. I mean, how yeah, it makes me think of geology, sort of like erosion. It's erosion, exactly. It's taking taking away, as opposed to not adding to it. Which I find fascinating. I think it's fascinating in the way that he does that, and especially with his explosive stuff, which he's doing now. You know, exploding walls and and and, and with concrete and working with drills, and drilling into that archaeology, into the history, the layers of a place. I think I find that fascinating. Um, but you know, Edmundo obviously, he's, I mean, a future world style painter. You know, you're looking at what those guys are doing with letters. You know, but I look at Dame. You know, Dame in the '90s was doing stuff like that, still inspiring kids like Edmund now. When you think about it, you know, I guess in the same way that Terminator might inspire a kid making technological music right now. You know, they're very hard. They're kind of like, well, once you've done that cat, that main mold, it's kind of difficult to make anything sound like it without imitating it. So all you got to do is kind of be in the same ilk, like or you know, well, it's got funky drummer in it, but it's it's a different way he's edited it. Well, you better be clever with the edit then. You know, art's, art is imitation. That's what the other thing that, that a lot of these students have to understand. If you can take from the art, no matter how in plain sight, just the way like they take money out of your bank account to make you buy something you thought you don't even need. <laughs> you know, like, how do they do that? How did they do that? I just, because they put the picture in my head and I bought it, right? But the idea of of imitating art and putting it in plain sight where people just go, oh my God, I never saw it like that. That's how you're making the artwork. You know, I, I was, this is weird. I was painting yesterday and and this is a very good exercise. I was, um, it's over, yeah, it was the either, yeah, it was the end of Just Be Good To Me by SOS Band my favorite all-time soul band. And I'd forgotten that at the very end of the track, there was an acoustic guitar and his sound, the ocean. And it was the inspiration for Sea of Tears on Timeless. And I thought, God, I've just done all of these interviews in the whole summer about Timeless and never mentioned that once because it's so deep in the psyche. Mm. But like I said, if you're truthful about it, you go, Oh my God. Mm. It was this track that influenced me for, for, I mean, there were other tracks as well, like still life talking, Michael Franks and, and still life, you know, still life by Michael, my, um, by Pat Metheny, my hero. But I thought the initial Sonic idea came from SOS band. That's why the idea of playing the guitar, a different riff. But if I've got three guitars doing this acoustic lick and I've got, and I go and record the ocean myself. So it's my ocean and I create a loop, then there it is. So, you know, art is imitation. It's just how we do it. And I think B-Boys, the culture of hip-hop, when a kid goes into a ring or a club in the 90s, which was only in the 80s, we and we would battle, you know, where the guns and the knives were nothing to do with it anymore because it became about the art and the street culture, that guy would spin on his back, another one would get in there and do it better. So it's the idea of, well, we're doing the same moves, but who can pull the move off better? Do you still do that sort of break dancing anymore? Or how, how long how long did you do that for? I was breaking from the age of like seven, six, seventeen to like twenty-five, probably. I mean, 
We be boys. You all do it. You break. That's what you do. You know, probably spit on my head probably tomorrow if I can. I mean, it's not a problem for me. I mean, you get a little bit rickety, but of course, then you, you know, you, <laughs> I guess that's why I gravitated to yoga. I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, I'm going to slide off piece, but the point I'm making is there are so many parallels. The 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 idea is that well, what creates that is by just being original from the beginning. If you just get an idea, that will lead to your idea number two, idea number two, into three, four, and you'll start to create your own roadmap. And that will then multiply like everything else. Yeah, it's all interconnected. Everything is interconnected, I guess. Yeah. Throughout life. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, yeah, you're sort of focusing more on a lot of yoga and, and how, how sort of Thailand sort of impacted? Do you sort of, sort of think that's going to feed into your music and your art, the sort of general feeling of the place? It's already, already yeah. I mean, I mean, again, there's a latency there. It's already has. I mean, you listen to, if you go and listen to Spotify and go subjective, Music for inanimate objects. Music for yeah, music for inanimate objects. That was mine and James's first album after Journeyman that we did here. Not a lot of people know that album because we didn't put our names to it because it was just like, let's just tr tr trick these people to just watch this. <laughs> watch this, 127 BPM, <laughs> and it was a joke. And it's and it's some brilliant stuff on there. I mean, Rift Valley, Silent Running, in in Canola Lele. I mean, there's some amazing pieces on. Amazing piece of music on there. We just went middle finger, 127 yeah. BPM. We can do what you do, but we just chose to, you know, just to do it as a down tempo project, which is what we're here now. We're doing the second album, which Pete Tong just signed, um, and it's called The Start of No Regret, which is the second subjective album. But this time, you know, they want us to put our names on it. Goldie and JD, great, no problem. Um, I love Thailand. I, I hike four times a week. Mm. I'm up and down the mountain, just watching life unfold in front of my eyes, like living and dying, flowers, trees. You know, one comes up, one falls down. You know, uh, scorpions on Friday. I saw a couple of scorpions running around. Wow. Snakes, you snakes. They just they, leave, they tend to leave you alone. You know, they just leave you alone. And unless you tread on one, unfortunately. But, um, <laughs> Has that happened? <laughs> no, no, but I, I mean, I just, it is, a, it's, it's, a, it's, it is a thing where, you know, I get up, I look at the sea, I, ride, I drive down to the sea, I'm looking at it when I wake up, I get on my bike, ride down to the sea, get in there, shuffle around, get out, come back, do some yoga, go to the mountain, and then paint. I mean, I, 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 I couldn't have had it any easier in that respect, but to be honest, I guess it's like compression of any diamond. It was just dirt before, and I just kept compressing it and compressing it to the point where I completely forget that I've done a lot of this stuff. You know, I I, I saw a thing the other day that said Doc Sock, Brunel University. Until you mentioned it, I completely forgot that I'd done all of that. Yeah, you've done so much in your life. <laughs> it's just like... Oh, forget about it. Films as well. And... Well, the films are just cheeky monkey <laughs> stuff. They just like to remind people that... You know, people go, well, why did you do that? Well, I can, you know. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, why did you Strictly Come Dancing? Because I wanted to have a laugh and I was first in, first Did you do Strictly out. Come Dancing? Mate, give me 100 grand. Thank you very much. I'll be first in, first out. <laughs> Same as Big Brother. First in, first out. Give me the money. I'm in and I'm out. You wanted a roughneck. Here he is. You know what I mean? Listen, you can put me with jazz hands with a gold shirt, but you cannot compromise my art and music. So if you want to go, hey, look what the monkey can do. I can't dance. Thank you. Give me my hundred bags. See you later. Bye. You know, <laughs> you know, you you got to put the kids through school, right? Of course. Yeah. Um, but the the one thing that I will never do is the art and the music. 
Yeah, yeah. When somebody says, "Will you do this or this remix or that remix or, you know, can you can you make this a bit softer?" It's never gonna happen. It's never gonna happen. It's never gonna happen. I mean, any student that's out there that really listens is just um, don't be afraid. Just you know, because you've got so much medium right now. I mean, three D printing alone, the idea of all of these different things. I've seen some amazing stuff, but like I said. Wouldn't you lo- would you let's put it this way? Would you rather take a Ferrari sideways than just driving it at a safe 80 to 90 miles an hour? Because if you can drive it and you can actually take it sideways, it's how the car what the car was designed for. Yeah. You know, seeing an old geezer in his 80s driving through St. John's Wood, you know, he's oh, good luck, boy. Well done, mate. I saw I saw so many people driving in London, especially in like you know, Chelsea and and they're miserable. I'm thinking he's sitting in a four five out, a four eight five, miserable. And I'm, I remember, I remember driving around in London in a three five five Spider, silver. And I remember being outside Hamleys, and and I'm thinking to myself, when you're driving a Ferrari, and you realise after six seven months, and you realise you're just in a car, and it just becomes this thing where you think, I'm more miserable than I've ever been. Because you think you you get all this money and you, and you realize that actually it's not really important anymore. It just became this thing that it's not real when you get it. Because when you get there, you think, well, I want another car. And then I ended up having five cars on the driveway. Right. Feeling miserable and thinking, there's, there's not, there's somewhere else to go here. And I think that's what's really important about. I'll go as long as I can, you know, hopefully genetically I'll, I'll live for a very ripe old age with my wife and family here, but you live for the art and, 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 and that's really it because, and it's also a thing about, you know, I, I listen to compositions whilst I'm painting and I've, I've kind of very rarely listened to my own music unless I'm getting right into the zone mm. um, because they're, they're actually just chapters of your life that you listen to that remind you of different moods. And that's important too. But I, I'll, I'll go through a lot of world music and a lot of things that I listen to that inspire me. I, I, it's very rare I paint without music. What, what what sort of music are you listening to as well at the moment? Crazy. I mean, Gorecki, Symphony of Sorrowful Songs, uh, OK Computer Today. Uh, OK, Radiohead, yeah. Yeah, I think Tom York's the only person who's more depressing than me, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um. You know, a little bit, a little bit of um, there's some amazing, you know, amazing, like people like Les McCann, you know, kind of pre-rare groove, but kind of created that genre for me, really. Um, you know, some amazing, um, you know, some amazing bass players. Uh, I mean, you know, Thursday was Joni Mitchell. <laughs> you know, um, I go through a really mixed bag of works from Steel Pulse UB40 to, you know, to, to whatever it is. I mean, I don't listen to a lot of new music because it doesn't really do it for me. But I mean, isn't that isn't that kind of isn't that kind of that's kind of like most generations of people. I mean, sure. I've, I've literally become the Victor Melder of breakbeat, you know. But I also think that 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 time and science has folded time. Yeah. So we kind of about. I think I reckon we've got about a hundred left. I reckon that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> and how many days a week roughly do you paint, or is it does it vary? Well, as soon as if the ink fades off. As soon as the paint gets out of the nails, I'm back in there. Usually, um, pretty much every day I'm tinkering. Wow. I mean, I'm pretty much, you know, I couldn't get this black piece off my toe. 
you know, I just couldn't get that in. I just couldn't get it off. It was right in the crease. Right in there. Um, I just love it. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I just love it. Like yesterday, you know, we were doing this subjective project. And uh, I decided that, which I just said to James, my partner, I said, we're going to, um, let's just, let me just do an album cover. Because I never do the album covers. I, I coordinate them and I go, right, this is what it's going to look like. And it's going to be a, like an egg timer and it's got the Metalheads logo. And right, go ahead, guys, bring me 17 different versions. Right, cool. Yeah, that one with that one. So I put it together. Conceptual, you know, just the conceptual art, right? And then with this thing, I, I felt second subjective album. I'm going to put it together myself, you know, and I came up with this idea the other week and I thought that looks bloody good. So I started, I started putting it together. Like this mad, you know, mad cut and paste of, of letter forms of, of subjective, which I'm putting together now. Um, just, just by looking at the way that, you know, posters and art and the way that it's just buy, sell, sell that whole aspect. Um, so yeah, I've been really breaking it down. I mean, going back to the point about with NFTs, I think that look, good luck with all of it. It's fine and it's everything else. But I, I just hope it's you know the idea of people burning originals does not appeal to me. I mean, I'm never going to do an NFT where I burn an original. There is nothing more worth than the original. I'm sorry, you can't. I mean, that's that spooks me out a little bit. I think the bubble will burst. I think it seems to be a bit of a bubble potentially with the NFTs. You've got to understand it will be no, it will be a platform, but it will be just like leveled out for human consumption. It's going to be like pot noodle. It'll just be a thing that becomes like you buy one for a quid. Great. It's going to be football cards. That's what it's going to be. It's going to be like you know we used to collect football cards. That's all it's going to be. Like uh, Trumps, basically. <laughs> That's what it's going to be. I guarantee you. Um, and the guys that spent seventy million, if you've got seventy million to spend, if you've got 70, 70 million, right? So the people sold for seventy million Christie's, right? Seventy million. Yeah. If you've got seventy million, now this is this is going back to the point about luck and idiocy. If you're a human being and you've got seventy million. And you want to buy a digital piece because you can. Why don't you give it to charity, son? Someone bought the first tweet the other, the other I week. I saw that. <laughs> I mean, wow. I mean, that's the thing, right? Like, I'd like that person to say, you know what? I've been criticized for buying this for 70 million, but I did give 140 million to charity. I didn't see that part of the tweet. That's my point. It's kind of like, you know, when art's gone beyond ridiculous, I thought I thought Banksy had smashed it to pieces when he did that shredding, self-shredding piece. It just proves the point how unbelievable and how correct he was and how stupid the art world is. Yeah, he took the mic. He, uh, he doubled the value, didn't it? As soon as, yeah, he did. Awesome. I mean, but, but art, art, art is to show how, I think art does show that how ridiculous we are. But I think we've, I think we've come to the end of our little road here. I just hope, I just hope for the students that that it does bear some relevance to that going back to the point of the uncle who comes to the party that's going to tell it like it is, you know, behind that curtain at the end is it is not this big green monster. It's just this guy spinning plates trying to be the Wizard of Oz, right? Because ultimately, and this is the thing, and and, and people hate me for saying this, but I'm not an atheist, but there's no heaven in hell. 
the bottom line is he's just energy shifting from one place to another. And you know what heaven is? Heaven is being in this moment, creating right now. And hell is not being able to remember any of it when you're gone. That's amazing. Thank you. I do want to finish on one thing. I will say to students that if you are looking at the curriculum of different things, like let's say sculpture, um, uh, 3D animation to uh, 4D rendering, uh, mapping, um, you know, 3D printing, CADing, for example. Um, if you have this skill set and you see artists that are friends, the collaboration aspect is really important because I've been approached by people that do this stuff. You think, Jesus Christ, this is an amazing idea. Just, just to give you an idea, for example, Lost Tribes, the skull, which was a, it's, it's a, it's a bronze skull. And I double chromed it and I decided to put 24 karat plated teeth inside it. Okay. Just bear with this concept. It's the last concept I'm going to give you. I decided to make 26 of those original paintings. Now, all the images are from bus drivers, train drivers in London. There's a couple of nurses in there that I dressed up in African attire and dressed them, lit the studio, created the images of original, original images, which is very important, guys. You can get a camera person to photograph your subject matter. Just don't rip it out of a book or something else because that's someone's life to a certain, to a certain degree, right? Once I had those images, I then broke them down in Photoshop with someone that knows Photoshop really well. And then I got back to the process of dismantling the art like, like a Haynes catalogue, scattering the idea in the air and pulling out, right, if I do herringbone, fishbone, cross-lateral lines, okay, what's Shep done? Shep's working in three colours. I can work in multi-colours, but the halftone has to be a basic colour that covers all ratios that so can be seen through every color spectrum. Right. Okay. So it has to be like a mauve. Okay, cool. Broke it all down. But then the penultimate piece was I went to a, a shop with a taxidermist and I hired a skull. The skull belongs to a human being. A bit morbid, a bit creepy. If you're into the cure, Mark would love it. Fantastic. Yeah. We'll bring it on for the evening. Great. Now think about it. At the end of this concept, after, after needing, wanting to do more, after my neediness of the art, I wanted the skull, so I photographed the skull, and I got the skull and broke it down in Photoshop with my friend and did the whole thing, cross-membered it and created it and did the lines and whatever else and painted it. Skulls and roses. Why skulls and roses? Well, Alexander the Great, the idea of life and death. Alexander the Great conquered the world, came back home and said, I am just the mortal man, and to prove it, it's life and death. We will live and we will die. And the people were like, wow. It's like Jesus. Okay. So on that concept, I thought, life and death, skulls, Africans, dissection. Okay. Right. Let me just, oh, oh, maybe I could make it. Maybe I could, I could make the skull. I phoned the shop up and said, hey, can I get that skull? And they said, someone's bought it. It's gone. Do you have another one? No. So I went and got the photographs. And I kept thinking about the concept. So I went, I took it to a 3D model maker. And I said, this is a picture of a, a skull that belonged to a human being. A real guy. Never knew him. Never met him. Kind of morbid. But I've kind of used him for this painting in the gallery, which I'm going to sell him money from. So I felt kind of a bit uncomfortable with it. So I said, could you render it? He goes, well, yeah, because it's perfect. It's got all the shade. It's got all the attributes. The lighting is great. We can make a 3D rendering of it. So when he rendered it, and it was a little kid from Romania, 23 years old, rendered a 3D model of it. Now, 
the teeth were protruding. I'm like, can we push them in a bit? Yeah, we can push them in a bit. Right, can we, let me make the socket slightly bigger. Yeah, can we push the back in? The forehead's a little bit sticky out. Yeah, pull it back a bit. And we turn it around. I can spin it on my iPad. It's just amazing. And I'm freaking out. So now I can print it out in wax, in layers. And I did. First three attempts, catastrophic. It was printing like some mad fly. It was just all over the place. So they turned the cat over upside down. For some reason, it printed upside down in the sand. Great. Took it out. Got the model. Now, I can take the flowers, which were separated. The teeth, because I do dentistry, I was like, right, so I make all the teeth, name, number them. From A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, upper, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, lower. Take all the teeth out. So I've, I've, I've printed all those out separately, like an Airfix model. I've printed out the lower jaw, printed out the top half, printed out the roses. And this is all new to me as an artist, completely. Once I've printed it out, I got a, 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 a flower maker who printed, it was good into making ornate flowers in Devon to make the roses. And I went to Fawn Street, who do Anish Kapoor stuff, to print the skull in bronze. And it was great. Fantastic. So we did it and we put it together. The point I'm making is that now this belongs to no one. Belongs to me. But it was created through the idea of a real skull that I imitated. Going back to that point that art is imitation. So the point I'm making is that people go, is that your skull? And I'll say, yeah, it is, but it's not. I mean, it could have been a thing where I went and got a brain scan and went, there you go, there's a CD, that's actually my skull, and we can render that. It was just, I love the idea of what I went through, the process, episodically, to create that. I learned more in the process than the final skull, if you know, if that makes any sense. No, that makes amazing sense. It, it, and it's what we talk to the students all the time. We talk about the importance of journaling, um, thinking about the process, reflecting. Not reflecting for us. It's not for us. It's, yeah. it's for them. It's well, for it them. is for them. It's realising that the first three attempts, the flowers all had holes in them because the the, 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 the bronze was too hot and it melted the mould. So we had to thicken up the flowers and how, you know, all of these things that once you get your head around all of those those every little part of this mechanism allows you to process what the art's about, which also gives you more respect to understand that it's not as disposable as they're telling you it is. Yeah. It's not just an NFT. It's not something you can switch off. And the more you have a real belief of the fabrication of it, the less they can dismember it and the less they can take it apart. It's real and it's there and it's tangible. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much, Goldie. That was amazing. Thanks for listening to Artcast. My name is Matt G. Please join us in two weeks' time on Morley Radio. College is home to various unique music courses taught by industry professionals here to support your journey, whether it's for enjoyment or excellence. Learn to play an instrument, write your own songs, produce or engineer. We cover every style of music imaginable, from opera to Afro-Cuban music. 
Visit morleycollege.ac.uk to learn more.